into it. So I would like to just, first of all, welcome everybody that's joining this call. This is the first time that we as owners have uh, done the Antares Owners Roundtable. Um, the purpose of this conversation is for us to be able to uh, not only talk about some of the, in this case, our topic is the design considerations and trying to separate hype from reality. Um, and what end of the day do you as a potential new catamaran owner need, really need on your boat versus maybe sometimes want on your boat? And, and I thought it would be good because all of us on this call um, have owned our boats for a, some of us for a very long period of time. And we do have at least some insight that might be helpful to you as potential catamaran buyers on what is and what is not maybe something that you might may want to consider on your boats in the future. So what I would like to do um, is to go around the virtual call and do introductions of the interior zoners that are on the call. So let's go ahead and we'll start with um, Matt. Matt, can you go ahead? I don't see Matt. Is Matt on the call? I don't see Matt. Okay, let's go then with Glenn. How about you? We'll, we'll jump jump to you, Glenn, and Pam. Sure. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, we're Glenn and Pam McGonigal. Um, we're owners of Mira. It's a 2017 uh, Antares that we took delivery of uh, in Buenos Aires. Uh, the boat is currently in Spain. And um, yeah, I mean, we'll get to all this, but this is one of the reasons why we bought an Antares. It's, this community is just fabulous. Thanks, Glenn. Appreciate it. Russell, can you do your introduction? Sure. This is uh, Russell and Kelly Gray. Um, we are on Leap of Faith, which is hole 18. Uh, we purchased it about 10 months ago after having a previous catamaran. And um, you know, we're sitting in Maine right now, a little chilly, but this is what we do. We live on our boat full time. We've sold everything and this is our home and we wouldn't choose another catamaran. I can tell you that right now. Thank you, Russell. Alan and Elizabeth. Hi, we're uh, Elizabeth and Alan Bradley and we are on hole number 24, which was the last, P last 26. Ontario's 26. Last Ontario's built in the PDQ factory up in Canada before the manufacturer was moved to Argentina. And we've owned it for three and a half years with a second owner. It's called Vivation now. It was formerly Swanee. Somebody, some of you may have known her as Swanee. Um, but we're full-time liveaboards and we've cruised several thousand miles on her and we absolutely love her. That's great. Thank you. Emilio. Uh, good evening. Uh, my name is Emilio Hernandez. I'm uh, married to Barbara. We are full-time liveaboards. We retired two years ago, sold everything, and uh, bought our Antares. We are in hole number six, and um, the boat looks like it just came out of the factory, and uh, we're the second owners, and her name is Yeya. Thank you very much, Emilio. Um, and again, I didn't really introduce myself, but uh, my name is Mark Silverstein. I have my wife, uh, Sarah, also on the call. We have we bought our boat new as well in um, Argentina. We've been on our boat now for eight and a half years. Time goes by quickly, a lot faster than we ever expected. And we've been on the boat a lot longer than we ever dreamed. Uh, but we're still here and just happy that everybody's been able to uh, join us for the call. So I had a couple things planned that aren't working because of technology. But what I wanted to do to kick off the questions that we're going to first ask the Ontario's owners, and then we will open it up to the attendees to ask your own questions is just to provide a little bit more profile on what an Antares owner looks like. So the people that end up buying the Antares catamarans are people that 
that fit a very specific uh, mold, if you will. And that is number one, and this is based on a recent survey that we did about two months ago to, the, to all the 30 some Ontario owners. Number one, um, Ontario's owners live on their boats and they, they live on their boats, the majority of them, over half of them more than six months. So it's, it is a full-time live aboard experience for the majority of Ontario's owners. Um, number two, um, and equally important, the, the, um, because of that, the design considerations that, that are important to us as owners are very specific. And that's the purpose of this call is to talk about some of those design considerations um, and just understand that when you get a response, if you're asking a question from Ontario's owner, it could be a very different response than you might expect if it was someone that was buying a production catamaran that may be just wanting to sail for three months out of the year. It's a very different profile a very different criteria that, that we look for. So uh, what I would like to do then is to just start off now with the very first question and we'll go around to the other Ontario's owners. And that is, when you were looking to buy your catamaran, what were the top two or three critical design considerations that for you were um, an absolute no compromise? You, you had to have it to meet your criteria, knowing that they're probably different around the table from, from all of us owners. And we'll go ahead and start, Glenn, with you and Pam. Sure, Mark. Um, so um, we are mostly full-time level boards as well. And for us, uh, we want it to be, you know, our home. Um, we, we chartered boats in the past and, and knew that we wanted something that felt more homey. And uh, so the design and particularly the interior features, uh, you know, was, was high on the list uh, without a doubt. And I think, I think also, um, you know, the cockpit uh, covered was important for us being in, enclosed uh, because, you know, uh, we're blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, couple and uh, staying out of the sun, but still going to great sunny places is important. And so we really like the, aspect of a protected and covered cockpit that the Antares had. I'd say also, um, the, thank you, the, sa the safety element of the boat was really, really important to us. Um, I think the design of the Antares contemplates safety in, in everything. Um, and I think that element of it, um, and we could go on the list of many things we found appealing, but, you know, a boat that was, you know, livable, a boat that could be sailed by a couple um, comfortably, uh, a boat that would be safe and the covered cockpit. I think we're all, all this. We weren't intending to race the boat. So, you know, it, it was not, performance was not high on the list, although she sails darn well. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Okay, so so um, thank you a lot for that, Glenn. Uh, Russell, let's move over to you. Can you give us uh, your feedback on why you uh, selected the interiors, some of the key design considerations you were thinking about? Yeah, sure. Um, and like I said, we actually owned a, a different catamaran before this, and so it was interesting to come over to the Antares. Safety was a big thing for us, um, especially since it is our home 100%. We have no other residents. This is it. This is where we live. And so we wanted to make sure wherever we were going to be sailing that aspects of the Antares are pretty much second to none. For me, another thing, big thing was the, um, the ability to do maintenance and um, we do all of our own work on the boat, and so uh, some of the other 
manufacturers make it a little a little bit more difficult. And I found everything that I've had to work on the Antares is easy to get to and to um, to be able to fix when I need to or to upgrade uh, hers, which. Well, yeah, I think a lot of it is the interior feature. Yeah. As Glenn was saying, it is our home. So it has to be everywhere. I don't think it could possibly fill up all of the storage that is on this boat. Yeah. But, you know, when we're gone from the boat for even a week or two and we get back, we just feel like we're home and that's what we want. That We'll pass that over to someone else now. Thanks, Russell. Hey, hey Glenn, I'm going to make you the, the, um, host for now just simply because I keep getting glitched with their internet here so I'm going to change you to the, now the host you probably have better connection and while I'm doing that um, Alan and Elizabeth how about you guys well I, I think there's that probably number one thing that was a prerequisite for us was galley down which is very hard to find on almost all the catamarans out there but we just couldn't see giving up a third to a half of the salon to a galley and by get, putting the galley down, not only did we get more salon space, you get hugely more counter and storage space in the galley. I can't tell you how many people have been on board that I had apartments that didn't have this big a kitchen. It's just a beautiful thing to have. And another thing, because it's our home full time, to me, I wanted a shower that I could use every day and not feel like I was in some kind of cramped little box. It was going to be a comfortable everyday shower. I'm six feet tall, need a little room for the shoulders and elbows, and couldn't find a better shower than this one. And I think the third thing, the cockpit's close because we're covered and we can still see all four corners of the boat. It's amazing how many catamarans you get on where you cannot see all four corners from, way up high. From, the, from the hell. And some of them you're way up high where you're really out in the sun from all sides, even if you may have something over your head. But for me, since I do all the work on the boat, um, I echo the, the good access, un unbelievable access compared to other catamarans. But I wanted a shaft drive. I mean, I've heard so many things about sail drives and it was just like, I don't want to sail drive, please. So I'd say those were our top reasons for going with the Antares. Thanks, Alan. How about you, Emilio? Well, I have to say that my trip uh, towards the Antares was a little different. We had, uh, we had uh, survey two 52-foot um, monohulls, um, the island pocket, uh, two island package fit twos. We were looking very strongly at the Highlands 49. And uh, so safety for us was a big deal. We're always being monohulls. And I was one of those guys that said, you, you can't catch me dead on a, on a catamaran. You know, yeah. you just don't have a keel, right? And uh, man, when I saw this boat, you really have to see her out of the water and see the size of the keels. I had read, um, you know, Bob Perry's, you know, according to Bob Perry. And, and I saw those keels and I saw the design. And uh, I said, you know, I, I can go with this. And now that we lived on it for about a year and a half, we live on it full time. Uh, I echo the coming back to the boat feels like coming back home because we sold everything. We, we don't have anything, just the boat. And um, I do all the work on the boat. We've um, one thing that I've really uh, enjoyed is the ability to pick up the phone, call because I don't have, I didn't have the the arch that the new owners have, and. 
I called them up and they sent me the plans for the arch to be built. And I ended up going a different way, but just the ability to pick up the phone and talk to the guys at the factory, um, it's a big deal for me. That's an interesting thing to put in. That's great. Thanks, Emilio. Um, I'm not sure if I miss anybody else. If you're an Interior's owner and I can't see you on my screen, I've been kind of glitchy, please uh, raise your hand and we'll, we'll be sure to, uh, to uh, bring you into the call. So um, having said that, let's, let's now move on. Anybody else? I don't see any hands go up. What? What's that? Go ahead, Alan. Do you see your wife? I, I don't. Yes. I don't see her. <laughs> go ahead, Sarah. Go, Sarah. Sarah wants to talk. Go ahead, Sarah. Can you hear me now? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, my headphones were being being um, just temperamental. Um, yeah, I think I would second a lot of the things that have been said already. For us having kids on board, and when we moved on board, we had young kids, and so safety was a huge consideration for me. I saw a lot of the catamarans that had plenty of space, like big, expansive areas which sometimes um, I hear people saying that they love, but for me, I needed a cozy, um, more like place that I could grab onto, place that not such an expansive space. And so I second the fact that this is our home. And when I walked on this boat in the boat show, I was, uh, I felt like I was home. It was just cozy and comfortable. And I felt like I could quite frankly, keep my kids um, safe on this boat and it was that was one of the big reasons for my choice I also like the shower for sure and I liked the um, just the amenities that I could get that made it not such a huge shock to move from suburbia to a boat like the washing machine I appreciate <laughs> that's my two cents Thanks, Sarah. So uh, just a question to anybody um, on the panel, and then we'll get into some more of the meat uh, with some of the stuff that some of the other possible owners have, have asked me to, uh, to ask. And that's, um, now that you've owned your Interiors for so long, um, what design considerations, or what, what would you maybe change or tweak in the design since you've been on it for so long that would make the boat, in your view, that much better? And just, just to help other people just understand kind of what you're thinking now after all these, in some cases, years of living on board that you might change with the design. Anybody? I'll start if you want, Mark. Um, you know, not a lot. The list is not a long list, but having been on it for a while, I think, um, and I know that this has been done in some recent catamarans already from Antares. So this, they, they got the message. The, the, the cockpit could be opened up a little bit with the seating. Um, so, you know, seating from the round seating. Um, and, you know, that might be nice to have to, to give a little more uh, seating area and space. But um, it's not a critical thing. It's, it's just kind of, it's kind of neat. Um, I mean, we, you know, I don't know. You guys have been on it for eight years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I think it's, it's in some ways, um, it's like a, it's like an old shoe that we've worn for so long that, and we've, 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 we are just comfortable with it, that there isn't a whole lot. In fact, there's, there isn't a whole lot that we would have changed on the design side. However, um, uh, 
what I do like is the longer uh, hard bimini top. And the reason for that, from my perspective, is two things. Number one, um, the water catching, um, and number two, solar capacity. So um, as, we've, as, as we've lived on the boat longer and longer, trust me, more solar is better. Um, we've, we've been through three different, four different iterations of adding solar to our boat. So my advice to anybody buying a new boat would be get as much solar as possible. Uh, don't skimp on that because it is something that you will use more than wind. Wind, listen, I have a wind generator as well. That was something that I added and uh, we're not in the Bahamas that often anymore where we do have good wind or in the trades. And it's just, honestly, it's not worth it compared to what you get from solar, in my opinion. Anybody else, any other ideas on that? Yeah, I'd like to echo on that with the solar. Um, we have we have probably about 1,700 watts of solar sitting on, on ours right now. And I just actually put lithium batteries on. And we have the wind as well. And you know, when you do solar and lithium, the wind actually, you have to manage that because the charge controller for it doesn't work as well with lithium anyway. So I would, I would echo, put as much solar on as you can because during the day, we've actually um, been able to run an air conditioner straight off of the solar setup, not even coming off of the, the, the batteries. Um, so yeah, if you're gonna be in warm areas, not that we are right now, but it definitely is worth it. So, yeah. And we don't have the long hard top. We still no, have the we short do not. Yeah. and we still got 17. Yeah, we have, we have five, uh, three panels that are 370 watts and then two panels that are 335. So we took that's out the old 50 watters that were in the coach house. Yeah, that's impressive. I've got 1400 watts. I thought that was good. You've, you've blown me away. That's a lot better. I would like to have 1700. So, you know, the more the better as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Anybody else? Anything else I to add? I don't, have, I don't have to ask now to dry my hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else? Oh, I, I would just say, you know, it's it's saying the same thing. You can't get enough solar. Having one of the original Antares, we have the arch, we have the smaller panels they put up there and the smaller panels on the Bimini. And that's going to be my next upgrade. New, new owners won't have to worry about that. You've got the enlarged Bimini top. You've got lots of solar that comes with a boat, and you just can't do better than that. That's that's the next thing for me to do is get more solar. Yeah, understood. But, uh, this, yeah, this is Emilio here. I have uh, three three hundred and sixty um, uh, watt solar panels, and that seems to be plenty. Of course, I'm not running air conditioner, and I, I no no blow dryers in the, on the boat, but um, um, that seems to be that seems to be good. And believe it or not, the the two fifty um, watt panels that came with the boat in two thousand and one are still pumping electricity so i'm not taking them out yeah. nice very good thanks okay so so we're about at the halfway point and i would like to now uh switch gears and start talking about some of the questions that i've already received from some of the attendees and and the first one is talking about digital switching and um around c zone so um it's it's a request that i have seen now from quite a few people asking questions about the interiors uh is the interiors planning on putting in c zone in their in their boats and just i was going to show you on the screen quickly what it is but my screen sharing is not working so for those of you that don't know c zone is um low volt uh digital switching that you can use 
um, to basically get rid of the of the manual switches that we currently have on our boats to a digital environment. You still have push button switches that you can install with C-Zone, but it, is, it does allow you to see on your chart plotter and control on your chart plotter such things as bilge pumps, keep track of amp hours used by your, your bridge and freezer. So there's, there's a lot of nice bells and whistles to it from that perspective, but it is, it is, um, you know, as a, as a sailor who's been in very, very remote places, I generally, as a principle for me personally, try to stay away from um, a lot of the fancier technology, mainly because uh, for me, what the way we have the boat designed, it's very practical and it's very easy to service and maintain no matter where I am. But uh, the technology has gotten more, more redundant and it does look pretty interesting. So on that note, I really want to hand it over to Jason Shell, who is a former Antares owner. He has spent a lot of time on different boats. In particular, he has had time with Seazone. Uh, we're not here. There you go. Oh, okay, good. So, so Jason, I'm going to hand it, I'm going to toss it to you. Can you just talk about Seazone and what your thoughts are, having been a previous Antares owner, and what do you think Jason. about it in general? So, um, yeah, I used to own an Antares. I sold mine a few years ago. I've had a chance to be on a, a lot of different boats, even most recently a boat with Seazone. Um, and I'm a huge lover of gizmos. So it's kind of a little bit against the Antares perspective, which is let's not have gizmos. Let's have a way to charge your boat five different ways. So you need five different systems to break to not charge your boat. And so I think that's when you start thinking about a boat that you want to be able to go to places, it's nice uh, if the solar alone is working that your batteries can stay charged. You know, I was, I was uh, in Uruguay and this couple from Germany sailed in and they had lost power. What I mean by that is they had no power left to run a chart plotter, to run navigation lights, and they came in batteries completely dead. And they had to hove two for five days in a storm. It was like a horrible thing. And we, were, we thought we had a bad time. I think we spilled some uh, tomato sauce. Um, so it's neat to have a boat. We're, there's just no chance on Antares unless I guess it gets it on fire that you're going to not be able to charge your batteries. Because on my boat, I have hydro. Some people have wind. You have solar. You have two alternators and a generator. It's just, I don't know how you're not going to be able to charge your batteries. Oh, and by the way, you have effectively four battery banks. You have a battery for your genset, for your two engines, and your house bank. So there's just lots of ways to survive. Okay, so what is season? Mark sort of told it to us. You have on any boat a 12-volt panel, just like you have at home for your 110, and it's a bunch of manual switches that turn on and off. You can replace that, and it's the same technology, except there's one in there, which has the switch being operated on, it's operated electronically. So it's like switch by wire. And if it breaks, you go down and you take a little fuse out and you move the position and that puts it on. The reason I think a lot of boat builders are on board with this is there's gizmo idiots like me who are like, oh, this is great, I love it. And they don't have a good place for the electrical panel. So the boat I was just on, they've put all their electrical stuff back with the engines, right? But their batteries aren't there. The neat thing about the interiors is the battery banks right under the mast that's right where all of your high load items are. It's right where the windlass is pulling. And you've got, a, when it was drawn up, the boat was drawn up from electrical panel. So I like that, that it's right there. If you didn't have an electrical panel, you'd probably write where the electrical panel is probably put your C-zone boxes and just have a, what, a screen. I don't see the big gain. 
on a boat which got its electrical system in a weird place like the stern, yeah, I get why they want to move it around. Sea zone's also very popular on, a, on like a, an 80 foot monohull. The other boat that I was on was 67 feet and she had sea zone as well. But the reason for that is now you get advantages of cabling. You get to have less cabling, which I won't go into the boring details of it. But if I were to think about this, well, I shouldn't say if, I'm having a new boat built, a 40 foot racer, and I changed my order just recently to take sea zone out and went back to the normal, beautiful panel done by Blue Sea because it's so easy to fix. And the benefits, the C-Zone software, you know, I'm hearing a second hand from uh, my buddy, but they don't put it on the chart plotters. It's supposed to work on the chart plotters, but their builder says, no, we're just going to put it on a separate thing, not let you do it through the chart plotter because it gives problems. Anyway, so I would say I'm not a huge fan, even though I'm very tempted by the bells and lights. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, thanks, Jason. That was a lot more uh, helpful than I could have ever done. Um, and does anybody else on the call have any questions for Jason about C Zone? If so, just raise your hand. I'll look for it. I'm trying to, and then we'll get you. Uh, right, just unmute yourself and, and talk away. Ask away. If anybody sees hands going up, let me know. I don't see them. So, okay. All right. Very good. So, yeah. Just to interrupt a second. Sorry, uh, you gave me uh, control here, and we've got a couple in the waiting room. I assume you want to go ahead and add them in. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. All right. Okay. Sorry. Okay. That's okay. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so um, the next question, we've already talked about it briefly, that, that has come up is lithium or not lithium? And um, there's a lot of – a lot of um, a lot of nuances to the to the answer. I myself on our boat, we've had lithium for five years. Um, I was definitely an early adopter on lithium. I think I was the second in Terry's with lithium. The previous one was the was cation. They were all electric um, on their boat, and they they moved to from AGM to lithium, and then I moved to lithium not long after that. Um, listen, I, my view is 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 this. I, I think if you're going to buy a new boat today. Um, if you have the system designed correctly, and there's a lot of systems that I've seen that I would never put on my boat, um, then I think it's a good thing. But I would also say that lithium is not for everybody. Even today, I would say it's not for everybody because what has happened, and I, I follow, I'm, I'm kind of a lithium geek a little bit. I, I follow, follow this a lot. I'm on the Facebook forums and I've, I've communicated and I've, I've become friends with a couple of the, uh, you know, key designers, if you will, of, of lithium systems, one in the US, one in New Zealand, I mean, one in New Zealand. And um, it's, it's becoming, there, there are a lot of people doing lithium and they're doing it in a, what I would say is a very uh, potentially dangerous way. And I'm not trying to be, anyway, I just, I feel very strongly about having lithium on my boat, but I wouldn't recommend it for everybody's boat, no matter what. You just have to be careful about what you're doing, unless you get a, a true, uh, system like, in my view, the top three providers are Lithionics, uh, Mastervolt, and Victron are the top three. And uh, there's, it's above and beyond that, you know, you've got to be careful. And at Antares, I'm bringing this up because we are going to be, Antares is going to be putting lithium on their boats in the future. And it is a good, good that they're doing that. And they're being very, very careful about it. And I've been coming, I'm becoming more and more involved with Memo on that system. So it's, it's a good thing. I just think it's something that you need to be careful with. Anybody else? Russell, you mentioned lithium. Oh, Jason, sorry. Go ahead, Jason. 
I have a question for you, which is as if you're an owner that's going to be on board four months a year. Yeah. Is it a, a better idea to avoid lithium because it doesn't store as well? Or is yeah. that a different decision yeah. you'd make? If I was going to, that's a good question. If I was going to be on the boat for four months a year or less, um, I wouldn't do lithium. Um, and the reason why is it's to properly store lithium at the dock. You can't just plug in your boat and keep it fully topped up. You will destroy your batteries. Lithium batteries, when you're in a marina, need to be between 40 and 50% state of charge and left that way, meaning for most practical cases, unplugged. Um, if you're going to leave your boat on the hard or in a marina, you do not want to leave your lithiums charged up on solar wind or whatever. And so um, we are on our boat full time um, and we're on top of it full time. But I think if you're going to be on the boat less than three months a year, four months a year, I, I probably wouldn't even bother. Anybody else? Russell, anybody else? Yeah, no, I, I, would, I would agree to a certain extent with that. It, it depends on how you manage it. Because even if, if yeah. you're going to be on it three or four months at a time, the lithium will be um, highly advantageous while you're on there. You just need to make sure that when you do uh, store the boat, basically that you, like you said, that you disconnect the lithium and basically have a lead acid backup that you're running the bilge pump or whatever off of so that you can yeah. store the lithium in a proper manner. And obviously I don't know what the, the brand new Antares, but you know, you need to make sure that your charge profile coming from your solar, from your wind, from your alternators, all take lithium into effect and understand you know, how these systems are going to work together. I, I did quite a bit of research on how to actually migrate my system off of the lead acid and, you know, take some of the built-in redundancies that and Terry's had put in place for that that would actually be bad in a lithium setup and change it over into it. And I used Victron uh, DC to DC chargers to control the alternator and separate them off the lithium bank, as well as keep the wind generator from trickle charging the lithium. So it's, it's a matter of just understanding and working with somebody, if it's not your forte, working with someone who truly understands what lithium should look like for your usage specifically. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, Mark, Mark, uh, uh, for me, we, we just made that decision, to, uh, actually, when we got the boat and we still had the lead acids, uh, you know, six volts that came with the boat. And because we were not going to do a from scratch system, we decided to go with AGM and, um, the, and we live full time. And the key here is if you do go with AGMs, it, it works and it works just fine for us. We, we, we're on the boat year round disconnected two, three months at a time, no problems, freezer, refrigerator, watch TV, you know, big TV and DVDs and the works and AGM will do the job just fine. Yes. Yeah, it's true. It will. I mean, it definitely will. And, and the, the advantages of, of lithium for us against our older lead acid, we didn't have AGMs, um, was really centered around the ability for us to be able to rapidly charge our batteries and to be able to um, run our air conditioning, water maker, our salon AC, all off of our lithium. So we can run our salon AC off of lithium. We, if we're underway and we're sailing and it's really hot and we have to motor sail, um, we run our ACs in our aft cabins all off our inverter on lithium and the alternators keep the batteries charged up and we've got a, an AC, AC on the boat which is a huge deal. I could never do that before with our lead acid because of the 
high, high current draw, the voltage drop, my inverter would, would click off and wouldn't do it. So um, that was a big bonus for Sarah <laughs> more than me, mm. uh, but, yeah. but it worked, worked well. Go ahead, Russell. Yeah, we were in that same boat. We were sitting in Annapolis for you know about a month or two months, and it just got so hot. We I actually hooked a soft start up to the the uh, master berth AC, and we actually could run the um, AC unit off of our lead acid batteries for five hours, and that was it. And that's when we were like, okay, this is we were waiting on our lithium batteries at the time. We were like, you know, once we have that then we can actually utilize that overnight if we need to. And that's one of the things that we were looking for. The other, obviously you're going to have those. And with as much solar as we have, if the sun's not shining, you know, you're, you're either running the engines or running the generator. And with the lithium, it just gives me a longer time before I have yeah. to do that. I can generally go two and three days at least, and I don't have yeah. to worry about it. Like when we're going to be on passage and you can potentially get into those cloudy overcast days on passage where you're running all your systems, you're going to make sure that you, you don't come into port like Jason was saying, where you're, you're totally dead. So for, for us, it goes back to safety somewhat too. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. Okay. So I, what I would like to do now is to, uh, switch gears a bit and get some questions from the attendees um, about anything that you may want to ask us. Um, I think I glitched on somebody. Go ahead. Sorry. What was that? It was Glenn. Yeah. So, um, no, I would just, I want to say that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we've been, we've been away from the boat this summer uh, due to COVID and had we been on board, uh, we would have made the switch from AGM to lithium for all the reasons that Mark, you mentioned. Um, now, you know, the boat does just fine with AGMs. And, and uh, I think if anybody's worried about lithium, it's pretty stable these days. Plenty of boats are being delivered and the new Antares are being delivered with lithium as an option. So I think it's, it's a very stable offering today. Uh, but, you know, if, if you're uh, you know, more comfortable with AGM, the boat is designed around, uh, you know, lead acid or AGM uh, batteries. So it's not, it's not, you can just do more, as Mark said, you can do more and go longer um, and run the blow dryer longer with lithium. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Good point. Does anybody um, have any questions? Can you want to raise a hand? I won't be able to see them. I guess, Glenn, you'll be the moderator here for taking questions from the group because I, you're, you're the host. Um, if you if you look at yourself now and you were to give anybody advice on buying a new boat, what would that advice be? What do you think? Get on, uh, on board one. Go for a sale. Try an overnight. Don't buy a boat you haven't spent time on. That's good. So, so go sailing on a boat. Do not just buy it on the dock. Absolutely. Don't buy it at the boat show if you haven't been on it somewhere else. And like I said, if you could spend an overnight or even do a, a two or three day passage, all the better. You yep. really need that experience on the boat. If you're getting ready to spend that kind of money and you think you're going to live on it, you better know what it feels like before you jump. Yeah. That's and Mark, a good point. 
Yeah. M Mark, uh, one thing that I want to add to is the, for the new, new boat uh, owners, uh, I own a boat that was built in 2001. Go see what that boat is going to look like 10 years from now. How, how is it holding up? Um, because the truth is that one of the most impressive things for me in construction was looking at how good the boat holds up. And, you know, the interior, the, the fiberglass, the, the metal work, it's just, I mean, after, 17, after 18 years, the boat just looks brand new. And, and so every, every new boat looks brand new. But go look at a 10-year-old version of it and, and, and then really decide. That's what your boat is going to look like 10 years from now. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, we've had ours for eight years and, and I wouldn't say it looks like brand new because we have stuff strewn everywhere, but we do. And I think most interior owners are really picky about keeping their boats looking nice. And we're, we're pretty, yeah. um, pretty strict on doing that ourselves on our boat. Um, anybody else have any other insights? I'd like to echo what Emilio said, because, you know, we have people, ours is a 2006 and we have people come on board and, you know, they're just, they always say your boat looks better as a 2006 than a lot of boats that we've been on that are three and four years old. And, um, you know, in our shopping experience for uh, Catamaran, we went a different route first. And I would just say to anyone on this call, if you're truly thinking about it in Terry's, then you're probably going to end up there. Even if you go someplace else first, you'll come back. Trust me. That's, that's the way it works. Yeah. So. In fact, in fact, I know that we've had a number of, of Terry's owners that have owned an Terry's bought another boat for different reasons, sold that boat and bought a second interior. So we've had, I know of two, <laughs> two people in particular that have done that at least. Um, they, they've owned more than one. So that, that, that's a pretty good, a pretty good deal to have repeat business on an expensive boat. <laughs> hey, Mark, this is uh, Kevin Raby. I'm with you guys as well. Kevin, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. I just wanted to chime in just very briefly on a couple of points. Um, some of these have been said, and some I'll try to stick to the ones that have it. But I think the the line management from the cockpit. You know, we were aboard three years full time, and it's sort of split in time now. Um, and uh, I think the line management is important. You know, being able to be on a boat that has safety, the features like we do in on uh, Antares, but being able to manage most of our lines from the cockpit is important. I think the skegged rudders, the uh, direct shaft, the uh, corporal zones in the front of the catamaran, just in, in the event that you, you know, you have something very weird happen. I remember we were crossing the Gulf Stream, one of our first crossings, and um, luckily it was in the middle of the day, but, you know, we were in 2,000 feet of water, and we looked up, and there was a, a, a 12-foot, you know, 12-inch uh, cast iron pipe sticking straight up out of the water we were under full sail and I still to this day don't know what it was we reported to the coast guard but uh you know the, the comfort that i had as we swiftly moved away from that pipe under full sail was i i thought of the the, the you know the crumple zones and, and the safety that exists in these forward um compartments in both hulls these are things that you know when you have your family aboard and you're living full time safety the engineering pay attention to direct shaft pay attention to where there are cables versus direct shaft for example the steering system on the antares um there, there's a good seven to ten well-engineered 
characteristics of this boat that I don't think you're going to find anywhere else. And, I, and, and that's before you even get into the livability and the, and the comfort and the, the plushness of the interior of the boat, but just the hardcore engineering that Ted and the team put into the boat. I, I don't, that you just can't look past that. And you really, really won't find that on many boats. So that's, yeah. uh, that, those are the things that I think are important. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate that. I'm going to add a, a couple things I thought would be helpful because one of the things that if I look back on my key criteria that we had from, from, from buying our boat, I had, I had one, two things actually in particular that were, were really important on the technical design considerations. And, and number one um, was shaft drive. I, the more I studied and learned myself about shaft drive versus sail drive, the more I said, there is no way I'm going to buy a boat that is not shaft drive, period. Um, because our goal was to go offshore, faraway places. And the last thing I needed was to have a leaking seal on a sail drive in the middle of Papua New Guinea with no haul out facilities. That's a non-starter. It just wasn't going to happen. Um, and so that narrowed our list for shopping for catamarans to a very select few. Only, there were only three catamaran manufacturers at that time that had shaft drive. And that was it. That eliminated everybody else, period. Um, so now, if I look back and I say, was that a good decision after eight and a half years on the boat? The answer is yes. And I, I'll give you uh, two examples. Um, number one, some very good friends of ours that we met, American family in a very beautiful aluminum, large aluminum monohull. Um, we were sailing with them through Indonesia. And of all things, I could never understand this on a monohull, but he had sail drives on his Volvo engines. And um, he ended up, we're in the middle of nowhere, he ended up getting leaks, leaking from seals on his shaft drive. He was getting seawater in his oil in the gearbox for his sail drive. And mind you, we're in the middle of nowhere. So he had no way to haul out, no way to get spare parts. And he was screwed because he had to wait until he went, sailed for, it took him, I think, almost over a month before he could actually fix the problem that he had with seawater in his sail drive. Um, there was no way to service it. You have to haul the boat or dry it out somehow to do that. So. Uh, that kind of reemphasized the point to me. So, wow, I'm glad we had shaft drive. Um, another example, we were in a, in a, sailing around the top side of Borneo and in a rally that had probably 25 or so boats. And no less than two of the boats in that rally had issues with their sail drives leaking oil, leaking seawater in their oil. Um, and both of them are catamarans. And so, listen, I just... If I were to, to advise anybody on anything, do not underestimate the importance of a shaft drive if you plan on going to faraway remote places. If not, knock yourself out. I mean, you'll probably be fine. You can haul out in the Caribbean pretty much anywhere to fix a problem. Um, the other thing is, is the uh, skeg rudders um, because you don't really appreciate the design until you're put into a situation where you really needed them. And for us, again, it was a story about sailing around the top side of Papua New Guinea, notorious for, you know, one meter diameter logs falling off these huge logging ships. And you're sailing at five knots, six knots, uh, running over one of those is, is not funny. And we did um, right over the top of one under our keels, banged our, our skegs, and we came away unscathed. Another friend of ours sailing with us two days later had the same thing happen and didn't have some of the same design features we did and they ended up having to sail all the way to australia to fix their boat because of damage done from a log that could have been and would have been prevented had they had the similar design considerations that we had 
skeg thread or shaft drive on our boat. So those are just two examples where I can say after eight years of being on the boat, I am, I would never compromise on those two factors for me ever in the future. Um, and that's all I have to say. I'm pretty passionate about that because it really struck home to us. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Alan. I have a, um, an, another design thing of the Antares that's really, really good is two things. One is the decks are flat. A lot of the catamarans you'll see out there, the decks, it's very curved and it's very, you know, maybe it looks nice, I don't know, but you drop something on one of those decks and it's automatically in the water. And plus trying to walk on it when you're out at sea and it's a curved deck is a lot less that the Ontario's has. And the other thing is along the side of the decks, the tow rail that Ontario's has with all the, the holes in it, you know, the aluminum, all the different places you go, you don't know what your situation is gonna be for trying to hang fender boards against pilings or whatever. And where along that rail is, has been invaluable and compared to other boats that we see where they've got you know, stanchion here and tied between these two or to our flimsy lifelines or whatever, those tow rails are just, and plus, you know, the, the attachments for the, the Ghibli. Yeah, I think I got cut off there. My connection went down. You're back. Okay, great. Um, so anybody else have anything else to share? I know we're getting close to the one hour limit here. Anybody have any questions? Go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to add, when I came to the Antares, I, I didn't know how to use a screwdriver. And so a lot less educated than some <laughs> of the other people that were, no, I'm quite serious. Um, I worked very hard and came home and didn't do anything around the house. Um, and so what I found out was the boat, it performs really well for people that are picky, but it's actually really good for people that are beginners. Because when you do have a problem, you don't have to fix it that second at sea. You have two engines. You have all the charging systems I went through earlier. And so the whole boat is set up so it's a very easy learning curve. You can see how things work. They're put together in kind of a way that makes sense. There's a lot of systems that uh, multiple owners over, over a couple of decades won't ever have to repair because they just are that basically built and they work. Um, and so I think one of the big things I understand now after having owned the boat for, for a long time was actually that the boat does a bunch of the work for you. And that, that for me was a really welcome surprise. And I was able to compare that when I did sail across the Pacific in the world arc, it was a really neat time to compare the boat speed and the reliability to 35 other similarly priced boats. And um, we were much slower than the, 50 some 56 foot all carbon fiber monohull, yes. But we were faster than uh, some 50 foot famous named catamarans. Um, and we had reliability that was second to none. And there was three Antares in the rally. And I think we combined had fewer problems than uh, probably any of the other boats. And it was, it was uh, that's probably the biggest boon for me is a boat that takes care of me. Yeah. That's a, that's good, Jason. I hadn't um, I hadn't hadn't heard the details of that story um, at all. And I think also, Jason, I'll just kind of chime in as we're starting to wrap things up here. The I myself have been on the fence on the C zone, but hearing you, the ultimate tech tech guru geek, say 
thanks, but no thanks on your own boat that you're building now. It, it has a lot of weight on me personally because it really is. I like the, the gadgets sometimes too, but um, the dependability of the boat should never be a compromise for the latest um, latest gadget either if you're going to be going to faraway places in particular. I stress that because we do and we, we live on our boat in very, very remote islands that there's no service, no FedEx, nothing. And, and you have to be very careful on what you do put on your boat in those types of situations. Anybody else have any closing thoughts from the group? One of the things I wanted to mention was that, um, you know, the saleability of the, the Antares, we touched on it briefly, but, you know, when, when we first looked at it, we didn't have a chance actually to sail on one right away and everything, but we were expecting it to sail well, but I've been impressed by how well it actually does sail. Um, you know, you can be doing nine and 10 knots on this boat in, you know, 20 knot wind and, and just be cruising along and it's just super comfortable. And the, the sail, uh, the number of sails that generally come with the Antares, I mean, with the, the self-tacking jib, the Genoa, the Screecher, the um, Spinnaker and the main, I mean, we're, we're set up for anything. We just, I've owned a, uh, um, parasailer before and originally I thought that I'd want to put another one on the Antares and have no desire to now because I just I feel that I have more sail capability that, that right now than I did before so I just I love to sail the boat it's fun and it yeah. performs well so even though it's your home it's a fun boat to sail too yeah so, so hey, Russell, I'm going to jump in because you you said something that, that struck a nerve with me a little bit not in a bad way necessarily but Self-tacking jib. <laughs> you know, I, I'll say candidly, we've, we have never, ever used ours. And, and um, we just haven't. Our sail is brand new. And I had a question from somebody else about that just actually yesterday. And other owners, are you using your self-tacking jibs or is it just me? Never used Jason, it. Never, yeah, never used it. I just figure I still have it just in case we uh, get on a passage. And it's a really, it's a good storm sail. You know, <laughs> it's a I, good um, storm sail. I, <laughs> well, I do. I do use it because uh, I usually sleep all night while my wash while my wife stays on watch, so she finds it very, very, very easy. Uh, I usually go to bed by eleven and get up by four thirty, and uh, you know, just being able to handle a cell with one line right from the cockpit, um, she feels more comfortable with that. Um, you know, I'm afraid to say this. I'm coming from a monohull in. You know, when I tell people that sometimes I head up wind at 50 degrees, they're like, oh, you're lying, you know. And um, it, it's, it, for me, it's a, it was a very easy transition from monohull to catamaran sailing. And mm -hmm. I, it, it's faster, of course, but um, it, it really didn't take a lot for me to, to make the transition. Yeah. Thanks for that, Emilio. Um, I'll just Can add just to that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, please, go ahead. Who's that? Oh, this that is, Elizabeth? This is, a separate, this is Sarah. This is a separate oh, conversation. If you want to talk about the jib, uh, um, speak to that first, because I want to talk about one more thing. No, no, that's fine. I was just curious on the, on the self-tacking jib. Go ahead, Sarah. Well, these are just um, two aspects that I've thought of as I've been listening. And they're more, they might seem inconsequential to some people, but to me, they've been huge. Um, as someone who gets seasick, um, and I still get seasick sometimes, and I think I'm just more prone to that than other people. I appreciate the fact that there are beds that face different directions on this boat. 
And that, that sounds silly, but if I cannot sleep in the master cabin, I can go to the port, port aft cabin and I can sleep very soundly. So just depending on the, the motion that is happening at that point. Um, and I don't know if anybody else experiences that, but it, it definitely makes a big difference to me. Second thing I want to mention that was mentioned already is the galley down. And I recently was reading through a Facebook post. Um, someone was asking about galley down versus galley up. And there were, quite frankly, a lot of galley up advocates. Um, that might be because there's a lot of catamarans that have galley up. But I tend to love my kitchen to be out of sight from my guests. And I don't like, and I like to um, just cook privately. I'm more of a private person. And I also appreciate the fact that there is more space, I feel like, and it's not right in the middle of my living room. So I just wanted to speak to those two points. Galley up, galley down is a, a big um, debate kind of that's going on around Facebook right now. And I just wanted to speak to that for the Antares. I have not been disappointed with galley down at all. I'm really you appreciative know, of it. The galley down on the Antares is people, one of the things I think that they say against galley down is, oh, it's so isolated. You know, people are talking up above and you're not involved. Well, when I'm cooking dinner on the galley in the port hull, Alan is sitting over at his desk at the nav station over on the starboard side of the boat. And he reads aloud to me while I'm cooking down in the galley. Mm -hmm. You are not isolated. You are not out of the conversation. It's really, it, it's, it's open above and it's open, it's really very open into the salon, even though it's private. So it, it's the best of both worlds, if you ask me. I love it. And the, the other thing is, and you can't emphasize this enough, you can't get enough storage in the galley and you will never get that kind of storage. You'll never get that kind of cabinetry in a galley up. No. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And a little yeah. small feature that I love is our um, composting window, <laughs> the porthole. <laughs> People have come on my boat and they say, I wish I had that. That's so cool. You can just, you know, anyway, just organic materials, I promise. But um, yeah, it's uh, just a small design detail, but man, it saves me walking, keeping a bucket on my counter and then having to walk it out at, you know, when it's, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. So, so uh, one comment about, you know, anybody who's looking at buying a catamaran, if they're concerned about the transition from a monohull to a catamaran and, you know, cause we did the same thing. We lived five years on a monohull and moved very happily to a catamaran, but you know, basically two expressions that are on our mind all the time. One is, once you cat, you never go back. And number two is, we lived for five years on a half boat. Now we have a whole boat. <laughs> and on that whole boat, you've got your big salon, you've got your big gal, you've got your big bedrooms, you've got your closets. I mean, it's a wonderful home. And the Ontarios in particular is a wonderful home among catamarans. Yeah. Hey, Mark, one, one other thing. We have a question uh, from one of the uh, audience. Oh, yeah, Steve, go ahead. Steve, you want to go ahead? Yeah, I'll answer uh, Glenn's question. Uh, Stephen Hale here. Uh, have not moved onto the boat yet, uh, finishing up some work life in St. Louis, Missouri, but I am a native New Englander and I was, I think, just over three months old when my parents brought me to an island in Maine. So, I've grown up with saltwater sailing. I've done deliveries. I know what it's like. We are committed to making the switch. So I'm not the current owner, but 
We are very excited about uh, all the research we're doing over the past half year or more. We've chartered probably five or six times in the BVI, so we know that level of sailing. And we're very excited about the research we're doing. This is a thrilling call. I know it's being recorded, so I'd love for my wife it to is. see it again because she wasn't able to join the call. Um, and I had sent Mark a couple questions earlier, and just we don't need to discuss them now because uh, we've gone back and forth on it. But I will put the plug in for all of you other tree huggers out there who are potentially okay with the advances of uh, electric power of swapping out the diesel engines for electric. And my wife had the great idea of just switch one of them to electric, keep one diesel. We've read numerous instances of catamarans not losing much speed when you don't need speed by using only one engine. So when you can use uh, an electric engine and when you need to dodge the storm and there's not much charging, use the diesel by itself or as well. So I got a whole lot of stuff I'd love to share. I'll keep it short because this has been a really thrilling call. Um, we were really excited about the rainwater catchment systems on the newer designs because I already said tree hugger. We've basically got a column on our Excel spreadsheets of all the research we're doing of all the manufacturers out there. And uh, I've been a long time. We disparage no other breweries. I will disparage no other manufacturer. Only to say after this call, I can remove all the, there are pretty cool features on many of them and would love many of the large name manufacturer catamarans before we knew anything. But now, thank you, Antares. You've screwed us for looking at anybody else because it's pretty much the only one. And having moved here from Maine, although it's not a good idea to buy a lot of things sight unseen, and the comments already been made by a couple people, sail it, sleep on it, take a couple days if you can. You guys have given great information here. Uh, we'll do Let's see. I'll stop talking now. This has been a great call, and we're looking forward to electric engine or not, rainwater or not, uh, life, future life aboard a uh, aboard an Antares, and hope to see you guys out there. So, thanks for all of this. Hey, Stephen. Thanks a lot. I know we shared some emails back and forth, and I'll loop back with you on some more details with some of the metrics and some stuff you've asked about. Um, you know, that'd be I great. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, you're more than welcome. I can't emphasize this enough. It could because, but it's something that you can't explain to people, and that's. Everybody on this call that's an Ontario owner is here because they want to be here and because they're passionate about their boats. Some of them, like we'll take Jason as the example, um, a past Ontario owner, and he's still engaged with, with the boat because we, we all believe that this, for our cruising purposes, this is the best boat that we could possibly buy. And we're passionate about that. And uh, we're also friends as owners. So, I mean, everybody on this call, I've not met all everybody, but we become good friends and we can, can still um, share ideas on how we can fix things on our boat. Um, in fact, I didn't even realize this until yesterday that a couple of the new, of the new owners that are having boats built in Argentina weren't even on the owner's forum. So I've just added them recently. Um, it's a huge, huge resource for people to use because everybody um, loves their boats and we're doing whatever we can to make our boats better, even if my boat's nine years old. <laughs> we, st we still try. So it's, it's, it's a great community. And thanks, Stephen, for your question. Anybody else? Mark, why don't you comment very briefly? You just mentioned it, but why don't you spend 30 seconds on the owner's forum? You created it. 
initially many years ago, but you're talking yeah. about a resource for owners. Yeah. And I know everybody on there may not have access to that, but I think it'd be helpful for people to understand just how tight yeah, sure. the community is. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Um, so about eight years ago, just after we purchased our boat, uh, the owners, we were communicating via long email lists with cutting and pasting names and we're losing emails and we're, a lot of good advice was shared, but we couldn't have a, didn't have a place to put it. So eight years ago, I started the Interiors Catamaran Owners Forum in Google. It's a private forum. Only owners are allowed, even the boat manufacturer um, uh, uh, memo and, and his team, um, they're, they're actually not on the list. It's just purely for owners and owners only. Um, it gives us kind of a safe space to kind of uh, complain about something maybe that we wouldn't want to you know, offend Memo because he does a very good job, but we still like to see some things tweaked. Um, and it's just, it's just a good community to share ideas and to, if something breaks, we send, the first thing I do is I send out an email to the Interiors Forum and usually somebody will, 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 will reply with photos, um, uh, links to Amazon or wherever to buy the parts and you know, we get our stuff fixed and we kind of support each other as we're spread out all around the world. I'm in the Philippines right now. We've got people that are, that are all over. So it's, um, it's, it's an amazing forum. Thanks, Kevin, for the reminder. Anybody yeah, that else? Owners forum, that owner's forum has been fantastic, Mark. Uh, Interesting. Thanks for starting that. You know, we've, we've uh, gotten great use out of it. And, and as I said at the start of the call, this has been a, uh, just a fantastic community uh, to, be, to be a part of. Uh, we really enjoy it. Yeah. Thanks, Glenn. So anybody else have any questions? I, I probably can't see and you probably can, Glenn, since you're the host uh, now. But any other questions from anybody else before we wrap it up? No. I want to say, I want to say one thing. Um, well, I just yeah, wanted to say we're in Annapolis um, until early October. And then we're going to head all the way down Florida and around to St. Petersburg. And we'll be there December probably until February or March. If anybody is interested in seeing our boat, we love showing her off. You can see a, an older Antares 2008 and see how it's held up and how we use it. We love to show her to anybody that's interested. Thanks, Alan. I appreciate I, that. I, I, go ahead. Yeah, and I second that. Anyone, you know, we're we're in North Florida, so anybody that wants to come and see the boat, they're more than welcome. Hey, Alan. Alan, it's Paula, uh -huh. Paula George Hefner. Um, we are uh, having a boat built right now in Argentina. We would love, and we're in, we're in Virginia. We would love to come and see your boat. We're, we're, we're right up the Severn River from downtown Annapolis. Um, if you can get up to Annapolis, you know, let us know. Be in touch. Have you got our email? Piece of cake. No, I do not have your email. So, um, but if you want to, I think I added you to, Yeah. And well, I think Paula, I added it. both you and George to the uh, forum. So you should be able to just contact Alan via the forum as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Vivacious. Yeah. Vivacious is the boat name. V I V A C I A. Okay. Yeah. Are you at a marina or are you just at a private dock? We're anchored. You're anchored. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. We, we'd love to come up and, and, and see you. We're literally less than an hour from you. Awesome. Well, we'd love, so. love to show you around and yeah, just, you know, sailvivacia at Gmail is, is our email. So okay. V-I-V-A-C-I-A. Okay. 
and uh, right. send me an email or if, if that doesn't work, the forum, we check the forum. Okay. Yeah. We'd love to come. We'd love to come out and visit. We've got, obviously got lots of questions. Well, congratulations <laughs> yeah. on uh, getting one built and that's very exciting. And, and we'd Thank love you. to we're, we're anxiously awaiting. <laughs> Anybody else? Thanks, Paula. Anybody else? Yeah, this is uh, Ellie Pettigrew. Just uh, two quick questions. I don't know if you could uh, comment a little bit about ventilation and motoring noise. You know, with sailors, you know, I know you've talked a lot about safety and a lot of other features that are important, but with sailors, you know, we all hate motoring noise and we all like good ventilation, especially in warm climates. So, yeah, sure. Uh, I, your thoughts. Go ahead, Jason. I see your hand up. I actually measured it because I'm a nerd. Um, the motoring noise from the Antares is around 78 decibels. But when you're motoring for a long distance, you typically will run an engine in the hall where people aren't sleeping. And at that point, it's really hard to tell the difference between motoring and the boat going its normal in like a 15 knot breeze. It's, really, it's very, because it's completely separate hull. Um, so that would be my thing on motoring noise. Ventilation, uh, everybody will tell you that even in a light breeze, you get the aft cabin hatch open and the, and the head hatch open and stuff starts blowing off the tables and you know, you'll get way more ventilation than you need. Yeah, yeah. In fact, if you're really brave, you can have a total of five hatches open with the escape hatch open when you're underway. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. <laughs> you know, one rule about hatches. Here's one rule you got to remember about hatches. Don't ever close a hatch without dogging it. Because if you do, and then you happen to be heading yeah. out the Cape Fear River with 20 knots of wind against 5 knots of current, and the standing waves are about 800 feet tall, and you take about that much green water over the bow, that closed hatch, that green water will lift that closed hatch right up and dunk right down into the boat. <laughs> uh, Mark, yeah. another design feature. That, <laughs> another yeah. design feature that I've seen in other boats is the the engines being set aft on the boat. So in, in the Antares, the boats are really very low and under and in towards the center of the boat. So um we found that the noise is very uh, um, not, not, not noticeable, to be honest with you, especially single yeah. engine. Yeah, and so, and so, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say the other thing to, to echo what Emilio is saying is not only are they not noisy, but then you also have your weight distributed in the bottom of the boat because you have your fuel tanks, your water tanks, and your engines all sitting basically in the center line of each hole amidships and so from a stability standpoint and a comfort standpoint when you're sailing this makes the boat much more comfortable as well it's not that it's not something that most people notice or look at when they look at a boat but it makes a big difference yeah that's a good point and, and i didn't uh, ask jason to clarify but I, i'm sure that when he measured the 78 decibels it was at probably 3,000 rpms right jason <laughs> A few RPM left, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Um, anybody else? Any more questions? All right. So um, if not, I want to let everybody know that um, every two weeks, we're going to be doing one of these roundtables with a different topic. 
Um, and so I'll be sending out emails to everybody again to register and sign up, but wanted to thank all the owners that jumped on and those that were not officially part of the call as far as a panel member, Kevin, uh, Raby, thanks for jumping in in particular that you guys, uh, it's been great. A lot of fun for me as, as an owner to see some faces in real time myself. So I hope it was beneficial to those that weren't owners. It was certainly beneficial to me as an owner. So thank you guys very much.